It's another wonderful Silver Travel podcast, and I'm really pleased today to be talking to Ant Daniels, General Manager of the UK and EMA. And Ant is General Manager for Hurtigruten, which is a cruise line I've really had a lot of affection for for a long time, written about the history over the years. So it's nice to be talking to the man that heads it up in the UK, and we can find out more. Ant, hello. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, now, it's an unusual name, Hurtigruten, <laughs> isn't it? How do they say it in Norwegian? Uh, it actually varies depending on the location of where you are in Norway. And if it's male or female uh, iteration. So the, the, I remember meeting a Norwegian client in the UK and told them who I work for and they didn't understand what I was saying until I showed them the logo. And they said, they repeated back to me what I'd been saying. And I was like, okay, I don't get it. So Hurtigruten is express route. That's what it translates as. And it was set up. Um, it's actually our birthday next year, 130 years old. So it was set up back then to support the Norwegian government. And, and we still do, uh, proudly still do today. Yeah, I think it's an amazing story and an amazing history. And I think that's something really special that gives a USP to Hurtigroot and that no one else has. Now, just, you know, let's extend on that and talk about it today. Historically, it was to help the government. It was the postal system and stopping at, I think, 34 or more ports along the coastline. Where are you at today? We are in a very interesting part of our kind of history and our culture in the sense of and our future planning, because where we've been for the past 130 years is still very much the heart of the company of the the coastal route, the, the heritage product that's going up the coast of Norway on a daily basis from Bergen. But actually, the future growth of the company is, is very much about expedition. The deal that we have or the agreement that we have with the Norwegian government will remain and we have that in place for the next 10 years. Um, and it's always a 10-year sign-up. So it's not like we're going to pull out after 10 years, but that's the, the contractual agreement. And we're very proud that we're still offering that as a, as a regular service. So year-round, we have guests coming to us from all around the world. The Brits love to go in the winter. Uh, Northern Lights is is kind of the hook. A lot of the Scandinavians think we're a little bit mad going in the coldest, darkest months, but um, that's what we love about our products. Whereas the future of the company, and we've already been doing it for a while now, but actually it's it's the the, the places like Antarctica and the High Arctic and, and further afield. So our future growth or where we're going to see more significant growth is in our expedition portfolio. And I really like the way that I've heard you refer to the ships as base camp which um, I think gives a real sense of expedition and makes it quite exciting. It is. And we've got to be careful. You know, sometimes we use the word base camp and it kind of come across as a bit basic and that's absolutely underselling the onboard experience and the onboard product. But the concept is it's the platform to go and explore. Our products, whether it be on the coast of Norway or whether it be global expedition, it's about seeing what's outside of the ship. The ship is your area to come back, to learn, to refresh, to regroup and rest, and then go out and see another exciting destination the following day. It's a very port-intensive program, unlike many of the other competitors out there. You know, they've got these amazing cities at sea. That's absolutely not our concept. It's about having a very comfortable product with great food, great service, but taking you to the places that are really difficult to get to via any other means, I would say. So are you saying to me that there is, in the sort of general travelling public, a real enthusiasm for exploration? 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, and, and that's why we're tapping into it. And that's why we feel at the moment there is some very good expedition products out there, but we don't see a market leader globally. And that's the position that we're going for. The difference for us is that we're very much not just focusing on the ships and the cruising aspect. We're always very careful when we use the word cruise with our product because, again, this is no disrespect to our, our white ship counterparts. Our product is very different to theirs. We don't have the, the captain's parties and the cocktails and the casinos. That's not our concept, but it's a ship that we use and we get you to places. What we're actually starting to see from a consumer demand is that this is the kind of the new Instagrammable tick box. It's not like I've been to the best hotel in Dubai. It's I've been onto the greenest ship going to Antarctica and this is a picture of me on the peninsula. So that seems to be the new trend that we're starting to see and, and really what our future state will be. It won't be just, as I said earlier, it won't be just about the ships. It'd be about what we can offer outside of that. So having a fully encapsulated program, so it may be a tour of Machu Picchu to do then Galapagos and then a South America sailing or that kind of concept. So it's actually broadening the program to people to go, you might not think yourself as a cruiser, that's absolutely fine, but don't put us into that category because you'll love the product and actually the experience you can gain with us, it's a full expedition. I like that. Of course, you've always been famous for your talks and your experts who lead folk onto the peninsula or up into the high Arctic or wherever. So I, I get that point. Of course, there will always be, as you say, that place for the Norwegian coastal voyages. And you're giving me the impression that the Northern Lights are still as popular as ever? <laughs> Very much so. And I think, you know, obviously we've all had a tough three years recently. And what we're starting to see is those, you know, we don't like to use the word bucket list, but those, those iconic holidays that people want to, to do, people are going, let's do it. Let's just get on there and do it now. We're starting to see for departures this year in 2022, we're starting to see a different kind of booking intake than we've seen before. People, there's a bit of pent up demand, so people are booking later. But actually, at the same time, we've got people planning way in advance. So we're now starting to launch our programs earlier. We're on sale already for the end of 23 and early 24. We're looking to launch 24-25 by the end of this year, certainly the framework of it. Because what we're starting to see from a consumer trend, they know where they want to go. And they're happy to plan in advance. And the Northern Lights, doesn't matter what else has been going on, people still want to see that experience. And our Northern Light promise or our Northern Light guarantee still resonates. And the fact that we do it in our coastal program, we're doing it on MS Maud that sails out of Dover. We still offer that as an, as an experience to say, if you don't see the Northern Lights and they don't appear during the voyage that you're on, then you've got an opportunity to come back with this for free. And I think what's really interesting as well, I've got kids who are in their mid-20s, my mum's in her 80s, and they all want to see the Northern Lights. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not just a really small niche section of the, the travellers, is it? I think that's, that's interesting. We've just touched on green things and environmental issues. That's all wrapped up in your, your vision for the future and your mission, isn't it? Tell me a little bit about how that's manifesting itself in, in actual reality. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the, the heart of everything that we do from a decision making on our itinerary planning, the ships that we're building, the, the consciousness that the traveller now is taking into mind and consideration. Um, we, we've been doing it now for a long time. And, and, and pre-COVID, we, we set out a plan to be single-use plastic-free. We made the announcement in the March and we achieved it by the May. So when we say something, we're going to do it, we do it. And, you know, and, and we even have the concept that if our third party 
companies that we work with, whether it be excursions or if it's services and supplies to the ship, if they can't achieve that, then we can't work with them. So it's a very serious intent that we have. We've just recently come out with a a very detailed report on what our goals and our aims are. And we've actually put our hands up to say areas that we need to improve on and areas that we've got targets on. And we're fully committed to not hiding about our green credentials. What's really great to see is the consumers are really buying into this, into their thought process. So when you're on board our ships, you can make the decision to travel green. So what you'll have is a leather door um, tag for the want of a better word that you know usually you've got to do not disturb one this one is i'm traveling green don't clean my room so that means then we don't have to wash your towels every day we don't wash your bedding every day most people now we're setting ourselves targets each year to to see how we can improve and, and get people engaged in that and every day that a guest puts the green tag on we then put money into the hertigruden foundation and that foundation will then go off to support local communities green concepts and everything. So it's not just about the ships. It's not just about the fact that we've got two of the only world's hybrid ships in the world, the fact that we're refurbishing all of the coastal ships to be greener than they currently are, and they're going to be uh, net zero or sea zero, we're calling it uh, by 2030. They're all very, very important. But actually, we want to make sure that the guests feel that they're actually following us on the journey. So beach cleanups on every trip that we do, And we're now looking at where the world has opened up again. We can now do a lot more events and activities in local communities. So even in the UK, we're looking at doing some kind of cleanups with the likes of RSPB as a commercial partner of ours. And then we want our guests or our potential guests to come with us on that journey. And it is important. I mean, I think people are really switched on to that. Who on earth has a clean towel every day at home? And it's silly, isn't it? Because you're so used to it being in hotels and traveling in previous. And when someone goes, well, why do you do that? And you're like, because you just do. And it's just crazy. So, yeah, it's, it's great that the guests are really embracing that with us. I think so. And I think so many people are really chuffed. You you pick up an item and it says made with recycled plastic bottles. Yes, result. And yeah. beach cleanups. Nobody nobody wants a filthy beach wherever you are in the world. I think it's it's really special. Now, I have a question. A long time ago, a couple of years, maybe pre-COVID <laughs> seems like dark. That's a, that's a benchmark for everybody, isn't it? Isn't Pre-COVID. It? <laughs> Did I read somewhere that you are powering ships on dead fish? Correct. It's, it's true. A- Yes, it's a it's a it's a um, derivative from the, from, uh, the biofuel, and they've already been doing it in Scandinavia with uh, coaches and bus bus travel in, in in Scandinavia. So all we've done is adapt that methodology for our coastal ships to say actually the food waste that happens in Scandinavia in the fisheries that actually then gets produced into an oil, and we use that. But the headlines in the UK and global press was expedition ship fueled by dead fish. So it really caught the imagination of the PR. But actually, from a transport point of view, not shipping, but a transport point of view, it's already been used. We now just adapted and embraced it. And what I love about that story, not just the uniqueness of the fact that we're using dead fish, and there's no smell, by the way. Let me just kind of clarify, because that is always the second question to the first question. What's been great is that's us always looking at adapting to try and find ways that What's the best way for our guests and our and our ships to be able to travel? Because there's always these questions about carbon offsetting, and actually we don't feel that answers the question correctly. In our ESG report that we've recently produced, we, there's not a lot of mention in there about carbon offsetting. Of course, it's something we're doing in the short term, but we want to get to a state that actually the way people travel, they don't have to consider 
actually offsetting it in the future. So we're embracing the new technologies all the time and we've got a, a, a t- an excellent team working on that to make that kind of thought process. So it's actually taken away from the guests, but actually enhances it for them. Yeah, really interesting. And I think that's going to be the way of the future. So can I ask, are you going for the B Corp approach at any time soon? In essence, yes. I'm not sure if it's the B Corp tag that we're going for because for a global point of view, but absolutely that that methodology, you're completely right to say that that's the, the aim that we've got as a company to be seen within that realm. And what we've got to make sure that we do as a travel company, because travel is inherently as a finger pointed as an industry, you know, many times we get asked, well, we shouldn't even travel, but actually our thought process is, but it's traveling correctly. And it's actually being mindful about the impact that you have when you're in those environments. And we always have scientists on our ships that actually do a lot of research for governments and governing bodies to actually kind of bring that research back. So we're always learning, we're always adapting. So yeah, completely, that's the mindset of the company. So who's your typical passenger, Ant? This is always the million dollar question. And actually, companies I've worked with before, you always come up with demographics of, well, they're this age, they drive this car, they read that magazine and watch that TV program. And of course, we've got that concept. But we, we coined a, f- a phrase a couple of years ago is that Hertigruden is, uh, is an attitude, not an age. And, and I love that. And I think that's fantastic because a bit like you were saying earlier about green travel and various concepts of people, it's ranges, I'm sorry, the Northern Lights, it's from five to 95. And really it's about, that's the age group that we're going for. People now want to have different experiences so we do have on some of the products a young explorer concept where children will come on board and actually they get educated. But we do find that the average age is very similar to kind of cruising in general. Although what we've started to see is with the expedition, coming back to the, the, the previous conversation, is that the average age is now dropping. So it's kind of 55 to 60 is our kind of entry level for expedition. People that want to be more active, you know, we're looking at how we can increase our Wi-Fi on board the ships. So the whole hybrid way of working these days, that's now a concept that we are embracing. So people may come away with us that are in their mid-50s. It may be a they, you know, they, they kind of moved, their children have moved on and they come away. They may be away for two or three weeks, but part of that holiday, they may still be working. So it's actually opening, the world has opened up in a different way now since COVID because it's adaptive. You know, you and I sitting here now on a, on a Zoom call, usually back in the day, we'd meet up somewhere, a coffee shop or in our boardroom in the office or whatever. This now gives people the ability to work anywhere they can do. So the average age is dropping is essentially what we're looking for. And we're actually trying to target that 55 plus. And really at the moment, you're talking our average is around 62, 63. Well, speaking of somebody who's 55 plus and works all the way around the world, good Wi-Fi is really important. It is very much so. <laughs> now, what have you got as plans for new destinations? So we've got, um, I mean, there's very, very big plans and some obviously that, that I can't go into right now. But and what we've done from a, a product point of view, certainly from an internal structure, we've kind of divided the, the coastal route away from expedition. From a consumer point of view, it makes no difference. They still see us. We still represent externally both brands, but internally we have different business units to focus on how we can carry on driving the demand and the, and the desire. The great thing is from a coastal program, obviously we're quite limited on our uh, 
ability to change the itinerary because it's the government agreement. So what we've actually done, we had a ship that's come back into service, the MS Trollfield, that used to do the, the, the coastal route, is now doing a different concept from June next year, where during the summer months, she's doing 10 or 16 day sailings from Bergen up to Svalbard and back again. So that's a slightly different concept, but there's still a service where we engage with the local communities in in Norway. So they can still have a postal service for argument's sake. They will still offer that service while we're doing that route. In the winter months, you've now got the option to go from Oslo up to the North Cape or Oslo or Bergen. You've got a dual embarkation point on the same ship. So that's going to be a 12 or 14 day voyage, depending on which sailing you get on. So that's a new concept that we've got underneath the coastal banner. So you've got the Northern Light Promise again on that program. You've got longer stays in ports, but you've still got that local community engagement that we don't have from our expedition program. In addition to that, from an expedition point of view, we've recently launched Galapagos. That was one of our new big hooks that we've now got a year round presence down in uh, Ecuador and Galapagos Islands. We've also launched uh, West Africa. That's a new program that we've launched as well, which is very unique. And it's a really exciting um, itinerary and destination that we offer down there. Um, And the only thing I can say without um, kind of causing myself any internal problems is we are looking at worldwide destinations. The really positive and exciting thing that we've had since COVID, and it's been it's been awful to see so many companies get so damaged during COVID that it's always very difficult saying this because obviously we're in a different position that our, our TDR Capital who own us, it's a venture capitalist company. And they're looking at us as a new investment program because as we've come out of COVID, we've reassessed and regrouped and regrown and we've actually got the ability now to come out even stronger. So this trajectory of new ships, new products, land-based opportunities is absolutely fully on speed. And all I can really say at the moment, as I said, we're looking at global reach and we're looking at announcements very soon. Oh, watch this space, Ant. <laughs> exactly. How exciting! <laughs> and, it'll be an on, and it'll be an ongoing announcement coming soon, but there's some, a lot of work being done behind the scenes to get it right. And, you know, if our, if our aim is to be worldwide leader in expedition travel, then absolutely we've got to find out the portfolio outside of the the polar routes. So you just touched on MS Maud, who is coming out of Dover at the moment. Are you going to keep that? Because I know a lot of a lot of people in the UK are really keen on this ex-UK cruising and not having to get on an aeroplane. Sure. And and certainly at the moment, the plan is that we're going to keep MS Maud out of Dover. We are assessing certain parts of the portfolio because what happened when we first launched MS Maud, uh, which was September 2019, it was just a winter program out of Dover. So we were doing the Northern Lights as expedition. It wasn't doing the 34 ports of call. It was doing out of the 12, uh, 14 days, you had 12 ports, ports of call. So again, very port intensive. Um, and there was a lot more expedition elements to it. So we we're doing some rubber boat trips and all these kind of scenarios that you have. We then, during COVID, expanded it to have British Isles because obviously the government rules were the Brits could only travel around Britain. So we did that for the summer months. All we're doing now is assessing the scenario of in those summer months, there is obviously a lot more competition. You've got a lot of the bigger brands back and there's a different concept. So we're just assessing. We're not going to kind of make any knee-jerk reactions to, to yes or no, but we know there's still a demand for British Isles. We know there's still a demand for Midnight Sun Norway. So there's certainly going to be a presence and the winter program from Dover is absolutely going to stay at the moment. So there's, 
just a few other conversations that's going on about what's the future scope for those summer months and is it right and does it feel right? But there's still going to be a lot of opportunity for no flight because the other the other positive, and, and sorry to, to, to go on a bit, but the other option we've got, we've also got uh, MS Spitsbergen that for certain times of the year, actually hubs out of Glasgow doing the British Isles and the Hebrides. So she's done that for a couple of years now. And that's sold fantastically well. So we've actually sold those seasons out very quickly. So there's a demand for those departures as well. So we know that no fly from the UK is a real demand and we're definitely not going to turn that off. Glad to hear it. Now, let's wind up here because we've had a good meaty chat and I've learned lots. And I'm going to go and look at West Africa because Africa is one of my places. Give me a favourite little known Hurtigruten fact, if you will. Of course, there's so many you could come up with, but the one that really struck as soon as I, I, I kind of thought about that, the one that's always stuck with me, and I, and I, I stumbled across it myself. Obviously, when in the winter months, when when you're doing either the coastal program or you're doing uh, MS Maud out of Dover, and when we do the North Cape Express, one of the excursions that we do is the dog sledging. So we've got a partnership with some kennels in various locations along the coast of Norway, and obviously up in Svalbard. I remember talking to one of the the, the kennel kennel owners during one of my trips up to Svalbard recently, and and I said, so you know, during the summer months they've got the the go kart, so as one says, the wheels they do. I said, but what else happens? They well, actually, what you can do. You can come to Svalbard or certain places in Norway and you can rent a husky and go for a walk with a husky. You can go dog walking in the mountains. And I was like, how cool is that? That's something that's so different, so unique. Mm. But again, it's a real engagement. So the, the, the huskies get fitness out of it. They're trained to be very calm around guests. So a lot of people go and visit the dogs as well. So I just thought that's quite quite a nice little, something different that you don't see anywhere else. No, I like that. It could be alpacas in West Sussex, but no. <laughs> that, well, maybe we'll do that to time with uh, MS Maud at Dover, so alpacas in Sussex. <laughs> it's just a thought. Well, thanks so much. And as ever, Hurtigruten continues to spark interest and be exciting, you know, from its very beginnings up to your new and watch this space moments coming up. And thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, Dean. No problem at all. <laughs>